I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. There may not be many more intimate, more vulnerable words shared in Scripture than these words that Jesus proclaims here in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Because it's not even so much what Jesus says, it's when he says it. Jesus is at the very end of his life. This is the last night that he is going to be alive, and he knows it. What do you share when you know you're at the end? What do you share when time is so limited and literally every word counts? At this point, Jesus has done the monumental brain-shaking thing of washing the feet of his disciples, something unheard of for a rabbi master to wash the feet of his disciples. He has laid out in greater detail than almost anywhere else in Scripture the role of the Holy Spirit. He has put forth this profound statement where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now knowing that he is only hours away from his torture, his suffering, and his death on the cross, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. Can you feel the weight, the intensity, the rawness? of what Jesus is sharing in those moments. For a number of weeks now, we have been going through the I am statements that Jesus makes about himself, and they're great statements because we don't have to guess what Jesus is like. He is telling us directly with his words. There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Uh, This morning is the fifth week for us, but when you look at the I am statements in John, chronologically, the one that we received this morning is the very last one that Jesus offers when he says, I am the vine. 
So what is Jesus sharing with us in that? Well, if we back up a little bit, you will remember the first week we recognized Jesus saying, I am light or I am the light. Light reminds us of the power to give life. When it's too intense, it can actually take life away, but there's a majestic, powerful element to light, just like there is with Jesus. Jesus then told us, I am bread. And bread has an essential quality where we need it every single day to literally live. We need that in our walk with Christ as well. Jesus said then, I am the gate. And we understood that there's this simultaneous in and out component for us as individuals and as a church in following and in walking in the life of Jesus Christ. Last week we came together and we recognized when Jesus said, I am the shepherd. And we recognized the deeply personal relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. And now we come together and we hear Jesus say, I am the vine. What is it that Jesus wants us to understand in that? Part of what I believe that is, is that if the shepherd showed us that Jesus is personal, part of what the vine does is shows us how to be personal with Jesus. Shepherd showed us is personal, vine shows us how to be personal. And how is it that we can be personal with Jesus? We are told here in Scripture to simply be in Christ, to abide in Christ. It says it this way in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, verse 4. It says literally, remain in me and I will remain in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. There was a wonderful gentleman named Eugene Peterson, and he wrote a version of the Bible called The Message. And when he talks about this verse, he translated it this way. He says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In this passage that we're looking at here this morning, if you look in John chapter 15, and if you were to read the first 17 verses, 11 different times the word abide is used. Eleven. I only repeated three times with you, verses one, verses five, verses one, five, and nine. Eleven different times we hear the word abide, and it comes from the Greek word meno, and it literally means to dwell, to remain, to live in, to be connected in a seamless way, to endure, to stay. That's the imagery that we get with this vine. And in addition to 11 times saying abide, another eight times we hear the phrase in me. So Jesus wants to make absolutely certain that we don't miss what he is trying to share with us, that he wants us to have this deep, intimate connection with him. Vulnerable, personal, seamless, a connection. And part of what Jesus is starting to lay out for us here is that he doesn't want us to have a religion with Jesus. He wants us to have a relationship with Jesus. It is oh so deeply personal that he comes and he says, I am the vine. God the Father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. 
Now, why have I gone to such lengths to repeat this so many times with us already here this morning? It's for this one specific reason that I want us to catch. Connection to God leads to intimacy with God. I want to say that one more time. Connection to God leads to intimacy with God. And I share that with you because I will just confess to you, I stink at abiding. I stink at just pausing and slowing down so that I can connect in an intimate way with God the Father. I tend to be the speedboat on the top of the water just zipping along, and my goal frequently is to get as far as I can as fast as I can. But when I do that, I'm not going deep because I'm not willing to slow down and abide. People will frequently say to me, and rightly so, Matt, when you are preaching, you've got to slow down. You're going way too fast. It's true. It tends to be my personality. I'm not good at slowing down, going deeper, abiding. And yet Jesus says, I'm the vine. I want you to go deep. I don't want just a religion. I don't want just motions. I don't want just a routine. I want a relationship where there's this deep, intimate holy connection and jesus is the key so often when you and i want to grow in christ what do we do we turn to the next technique we turn to the next book we turn to the next process we turn to the next program and jesus is saying i don't want you to do any of those things here this morning what's he saying saying i'm the vine i am the connector between god the father and you the branches it is through me that you will find this organic authentic life i had a chance some of you may remember over the over summer last year i had a chance to go to england i went there to cambridge for a couple days in in conjunction with the work i'm doing on the doctoral program that i'm part of before i left for that trip to go to england i was told very clearly get one of these I don't know if you can see this very well from where you are, but this is an adapter or a connector. And the reason for that is because the power voltage in England is different than it is here. Now, I didn't try it out, but one of two things would have happened had I not had this connector or adapter. I would have tried to plug my computer in there and nothing would have happened, or I would have plugged it in and it would have blown up my computer. I needed the right connector. And you know how this works. You go to England, you put this in the wall somewhere in the socket on the one side, and you connect your electrical device on the other, and then it would work properly. This was vital for the connection between the power source and my computer. Jesus says, I am your connector. I connect you to the power source. God the Father is connected to us the branches, how are we connected seamlessly, interwoven? Through Jesus, the vine. I wonder if that's how we view worship. I wonder if when we gather in these moments, we realize who it is we're really connecting with. I don't think we do understand very often, and here's why. Jesus is saying, I will connect you to the ultimate power of the universe, to God Almighty. We're talking God who made every star in every galaxy, billions upon billions upon billions, like big God. 
And if we really realized that, and if we really understood Jesus as our vine and our connector to that power source, most likely we would either be sitting here right now or wherever we're watching online, and we would either be shaking in our shoes to dare to even broach being in the presence of literally God Almighty of the universe, or perhaps we would be weeping tears of joy that this God of the universe even wants to get to know me. But either way, there will be a sense of this connection with God Almighty as opposed to I will come and put in a few minutes at a religious service where I just casually walk in and casually stroll out. We won't do that when we understand that Jesus is our ultimate connector. Mentoring is a pretty big deal for us here. We try to encourage that at many levels. If you're not in a mentoring relationship, think about it, pray about it. It's one of the best ways to be growing because it's a way to walk with people who know Jesus and help us connect us with God. I believe that at many different levels, and so this will not surprise you. When it comes to preaching, I have different pastors that I rely on as mentoring pastors. Some I know personally and some I don't. So it won't surprise you, I reference somebody like Tim Keller a lot, he's a mentoring pastor for me. People like Will Willimon or Leonard Sweet are mentoring pastors for me. C.S. Lewis, a mentoring pastor for me. And they had mentoring pastors. In fact, Tim Keller's mentoring pastor was Jonathan Edwards from a long time ago. One of the quotes that Keller says is this, he says, Jesus is after organic change through an inner dynamic not mechanical compliance through external force. Now, if you're like me, the first time I read that, I was like, huh? So I had to read it again. Jesus is after organic change through an inner dynamic, not mechanical compliance through external force. What in the world does that mean? Well, hang with me just a moment. Let me explain it in this way. I want to give you two examples about the difference between mechanical force making us change and an internal dynamic going on in which we organically change. And it would be this. As a pastor, one of the things that happens, this is not totally infrequent, if there's a married couple having difficulty, oftentimes they'll come and have a conversation with one of the pastors or with me. And I've had this happen where one of the spouses will come in, and let's just for today, for hypothetical reasons, say it's the husband. And the husband comes in and he says, Pastor Matt, I got to talk to you. Our marriage is at the end. We are so close to not making it. The only thing that's giving us any hope is my wife said, if I came and talked to you, and if I was willing to go into counseling with you and counseling for us together, that maybe, maybe, we can save our marriage. Pastor, I am desperate to save our marriage. I don't want it to fall apart. I will do anything. I will do this counseling if that's what it takes. And so we would set up the counseling then and we'd start having conversation with each other. And inevitably we would get together and the, the wife would go through the list of grievances that she had had with her husband that had been so hard. And somewhere in that process, the husband would say something to the effect of, I knew these things bothered you. I never knew they were to this degree. And I'm hearing you now, and I can change. I can do better. It will be different from this point on. And so they leave, and they start to work on it, and the husband works as hard as he can, and because he is so afraid of the marriage falling apart, because he has a sense of pride that he doesn't want others to see his family falling apart, he lives into addressing that list of grievances for a while. And for a while, some of the pressure goes off a little bit. He's not quite so worried about losing his marriage anymore. And, and so there's not as much intensity to keep addressing those grievances in a helpful way. And, and so with time, as the pressure begins to lessen, he eventually starts to slip back into doing the very things that have been frustrating for his wife. Because there's not as much fire 
from the outside upon him. Things aren't so intense. He's not quite so worried about losing his marriage. What's happening there? The external pressure of fear and pride is forcing him in a very mechanical way to say, I can fix what's wrong with me. And he can do that for a while, but eventually he runs out of his own strength. And because there's been no internal change, no organic change in his heart, eventually he falls back into his old ways. Or imagine if you are an addict and you so desperately want to stop the addiction that you are a part of. You are embarrassed by it. You don't want people to hear about it anymore. And so you're like, I will try anything. And for a while, you are so committed to remaining sober, whatever that looks like in your life. But it's all on your effort. And you literally white-knuckle it from one day to the next. And for a while, you can do that until the temptation becomes too great. And no matter how hard you try, as mechanically as you might force it, eventually the day comes when you can no longer jerry-rig your own heart from the outside and you succumb back to the addiction. Why? Because there hasn't been an internal change, a rewiring of the heart. And what Jesus comes this day to say to us is, I don't want forced religious practices from the outside to try to make you a better person. Your ambitions are way too small to come and just be a better, more moral person. No, I want to be your vine. I want to connect you to the ultimate power, the ultimate love, the ultimate grace, the ultimate beauty. And when you are connected through me to God the Father, you will be changed literally, internally, organically, authentically, seamlessly from the inside out. Many of us love Christmas trees. Those of us who like live Christmas trees, there's always an adventure when you go out and cut it down and bring it into your house. I showed some of you earlier this year what our Christmas tree looked like. It was one of the largest ones we had ever had. Like many families, we had a great time decorating our tree. Uh, we enjoyed coming together and putting the decorations on and the lights and the pictures and the ornaments and all of those things. And that was great until we had to take all those decorations off. And do you know what happens after a number of days or weeks when you've taken a live Christmas tree and put it in your house and put it on decoration and then you go to take it out? All those needles make such a mess. That lush green beautiful tree is no longer there. It's turning brown. It is turning brittle. What is going on? The Christmas tree, from the moment you cut it down in the field, has been cut off from its power source. And no matter how good it looks on the, the outside, it is dying on the inside. How many of us are doing our absolute best to look good on the outside? We put on our decorations of security, our job, our relationship, money, status, popularity, anything that will make us look good to the rest of the world, but inside we're dying. To us, Jesus comes and he says, I am your vine. God the Father is the gardener. I am the vine, and you are the branches. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Remain in my When it comes to God, what so many of us do is this. 
God, I'll let you get close enough because I want to be moral, I want to be good, I want to be a little bit religious, but I'm not going to let you get too close. In fact, I'll even do a little church time, a little prayer time, maybe even a little Bible time because if I get close enough, maybe you'll do what I want you to do, but I'm not going to let you the whole way in. And God says, I want to be the whole way in. Because every single one of us wants to be known fully. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, every one of us wants to be known completely. To have somebody who knows everything about us and embraces us as we are. And God the Father wants that relationship with each one of us. And yet most of us do one of these when it comes to God. So do me a favor. I want to ask you to imagine this. And probably for many of us, we don't have to imagine it. But I want you to picture somebody in your life, maybe it's right now, maybe it's somebody from the past, that you always wanted to know better. Like you, wish, you wish that you could know them at a deeper level. You like them or you appreciate them and you just, you want to go farther with them. But they won't let you. They're nice, they're polite, they'll talk to you, but they won't go to that next level. They keep you at a distance. Just, just picture who that is in your head right now. And maybe for some of us, that's us parents with our kids. Maybe there's one or a couple of our kids. We want to love them and we want to talk with them and we wish for a deeper relationship with them. But no matter what we do, they keep us like this. Yes, they'll talk to us. Yes, they live in our home. Yes, they'll, they'll do what we ask them to do. Or yes, they'll, they'll meet us when they need to meet us. But they do it more out of obligation. There's a stiffness there. There's not a natural desire to connect and to go deeper. It's like this. Or maybe it's a kid who wants that actually with their parent, and they, they just want their parent to, to love on them and be with them and hang out with them. But the parent, you know, it's a good parent. They, they provide for their kid. They put a roof over their head and some food on a, on a plate and clothes on their back, but that's about it. Everyone just kind of goes through the routine, and that kid so desperately wants to know their father or their mother more, yet there's, there's a distance. Maybe this is in relation to if you're married. Maybe it's your spouse. There was a day when there was such intimacy and passion and love and connection between the two of you. And I don't just mean sexually. I mean mean just wanting to be with each other and hang with each other. But over time, you've just both gotten into your routines and you both fulfill your roles in the marriage. You do your job and she does her job. And everybody's nice and everyone's polite, but there's a gap there. God wants to remove the gap, to go to that next level of relationship. And yet, throughout the history of humanity, we've done this to God. God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, I just want to walk with you and talk with you and laugh with you day in and day out. They say, thanks, but no thanks, God. We'll do our own thing. Walked out of the garden. God says, I want to be your king I want to be your ruler. I want to be your protector, Israel, my people in the Old Testament. And we say, nope, God, we'll pick our own king. We'll choose our own ruler. Thanks, but no thanks. God says, I'm not going to give up on you. In fact, here's what I'll do. I will send my only son for you so that we can be like this. And we take God's son, Jesus, and we killed him murdered him. Thanks, but no thanks, God. God wants this with each one of us. And that is the invitation that he gives us this day.
So when we gather for worship, <laughs> is it to put in the activity or to really connect with God in the experience? Because if we only ever make this time a religious activity, it will eventually alienate us from knowing God. And when we don't know God, then functionally God is a stranger in our life when he's not our vine. Before we end our time this day, I want to ask, or not ask, I want to give you three ways that we can connect, abide with God. And they're simple, but they're significant. And I pray that as we hear these things, we will act upon them so that we can find this with God and that he will be our vine. Number one, spend time with God. Now, I realize on the one hand, that's a no-brainer. And in your own mind, you'd be like, oh, I know that, like spend time with God, like read my Bible, do some prayers, go to a church service, I get that. Well, let me say that's partly true, but it's also kind of like when somebody says, man, I really, really want to lose weight, uh, but I don't want to change what I eat, and I don't want to exercise anymore, but I really want to lose weight. Well, do you really? Like, there's just a couple of essentials in there. Like, if you really want to lose weight, there's just some basic things you got to do. Or somebody who says, I'm tired of being in debt, but I'm not willing to change my spending, and I'm not willing to do anything to bring in more income. Do you really want to get rid of your debt? So if we want to say, well, I want to get to know God better, then we have to spend some time with God. Those are just some essentials. So yes, prayer, Bible study, time and connection with God's people, but there's other things I think we can also do, and here's what I want to encourage you with. Anytime we find real truth, real beauty, real goodness, those are ultimately from God, because God is the author of those things. So when you find something really beautiful, I invite you just to spend some time in that and connect with God in it. So, for example, if you love art, pour into the art. And while you're doing that, just spend time with God. If you love to sing, then sing and just enjoy it and connect and spend time with God. If you love being outside, take a hike. Just enjoy the fresh air and connect with God. If you love gardening, get in the garden and just dwell in that place and connect with God. Maybe when it's a little warmer, but, you know, when, as soon as you can, dwell with God. For me, one of those places is when I'm running. Like, there's just something about it that clears my mind, and I feel like distractions are gone, and I can connect and feel more alive in ways that I often don't. Just spend time with God in those places of beauty and truth and goodness. And it's powerful. I don't know what it is for you, but you know. So spend time with God. Secondly, be transparent with God. Let me tell you something. God already knows what you're thinking and how you feel. So if you are irate, but then you go before God, and you're like, Lord, I'm, I'm a little irritated. No! Like, now you're lying on top of not being real before God, so it's sort of a double whammy. God invites us to be really real with him. So when we are angry, it's okay to shake our fists at God. When we are at a place where we don't have any words, it's okay just to sit in silence before God. When we are overwhelmed with joy, it's okay to cry in the presence of God. God just wants us to be real. 
Remember, we want to be known and this God wants to know us. So don't be fake and don't be plastic and don't be polite. Be real, be transparent. I heard a phrase the other day that just kind of really got me thinking a little bit and it said, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but it said sometimes we should offer R-rated prayers. Now, maybe that should be adjusted to a PG-13, but the point is be real with what is going on in your heart and in your mind and offer that to God and connection will happen. If you want an example of this sometime, read through the book of Job. The man let it go and yet was faithful before God. Be transparent and the connection will happen. And finally, submit to God. There is no more powerful human relationship than submission from one human to another. When one human being says, I offer my love and my talents for you, and the other one says, I offer my love and my talents for you, you'll never go farther, deeper, in a more connected way than through submission. And maybe it scares us today to think of submitting my life to God, in which case God says, well, I have news for you. I've already made the first move. I've already made the first move of submitting to you. How? I send my son Jesus for you to die for you because your sin is more important to be dealt with than my glory. I submit to you. Jesus is the only individual in all of history who is both cosmic and concrete at the very same time because he's God's son and God says, I offer him to you as a first step. Will we embrace that today? One of the things that my kids do that I really appreciate, and it doesn't happen as much as I might like, but it happens some, and man, I treasure these moments, is when one of my kids will come up to me and they'll say, Dad, do you have a minute? Can I talk to you? Dad, I'm struggling with something. Can I talk to you about it or ask your advice on it? And in my head, I'm like, oh man, yeah. And said, why? Like, why does that mean something to me? Because they're letting me in. And they're letting me walk with them. And they want to be in relationship with me. And when they say, Dad, can I talk to you? What it means is I'm not just their bank account. They want to know me and want me in their life. Some of us are treating God like our bank account. God, give me what I need, but that's it. I don't want to walk with you. And God says, oh, but I'm your vine. and I want you to know me. And I want to know you. So today, can we abide in the vine? Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches. As the father has loved me, so I love you. Remain in 